You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, so now we'll turn our attention to uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. I want to read to you our text this morning. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then, uh, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's look at our summary sentence for today. <clears throat> if we believe, if we believe that God our Father is responsive, good, and wise, we should be greatly motivated to come to him strategically, persistently, expectantly, and submissively with our prayers. If we believe that God our Father is responsive, good, and wise, we should be greatly motivated to come to him strategically, persistently, expectantly, and submissively with our prayers. For our kids, we can pray confidently to God knowing that he listens and responds in good ways. As you're writing that down, you know, I was challenged in studying this passage how reflecting upon God's word, the the Bible spends very little time arguing for the existence of God. Think about it. Beyond maybe Romans chapter 1 where we're told that um, we can see the, uh, the aspects and the characteristics of God through creation, right? We can see his eternal power and his, and his deity. We can look around and see that obviously something greater than us exists uh, to put into place everything that we witness. Um, we, we know from the Old Testament, the Psalms, that we can see his glory and his handiwork in the stars. But beyond some of those passages, we don't have like this full-out effort by God through the Bible to prove his existence. Instead, what we see in the Bible is great effort being given to um, argue for both God's awareness and God's goodness, right? The Bible is far more focused on helping us to see that God is aware of what is happening on this earth, right? He's aware of who we are. He's aware of what we're doing. And he is a good God in how he responds to his creation, Right? And so we see time and time again, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, a continual coming back to those ideas that God is aware and God is good. And we see that in this passage certainly today too. The Bible says that only a fool believes that there is no God. Right? Instead, we believe in a God, but what's so important is what we believe about that God. Right? The Bible wants us to do far more than simply believe in God. Right? Even the demons believe in God's existence, right? So the Bible would fall far short of us seeing the majesty and the grandeur of who God is if it simply proved his existence. Instead, the Bible wants us to see far more about who God is, particularly his awareness and his goodness. And this passage helps us to see that as well. Particularly, I think this passage wants us to help us see the aspects of God's goodness in comparison to our wisdom and what we think is good. Right? As we pray, as we seek to, to make requests to God through our, our finite, limited perspectives, right? what we see here is Jesus reminding us that we serve a good God 
who only gives good gifts to his children. This passage isn't a comprehensive teaching on prayer, right? So we're not going to get everything and anything about prayer simply in these, in these short verses right here. Instead, we do get some key points that I want to draw your attention to. First, God expects prayer to be a necessary part of our life. God expects prayer to be a necessary part of our life. It's a key element to our spiritual growth, right? So think in terms of, you know, we read God's word, we submit ourselves to God's word, and then oftentimes, to our fault probably, we come on a Sunday morning, we sit under God's word, we hear the teaching, we affirm it, we agree with it, yes, this is what I need to be doing, and then we leave attempting to do those things in our own power, right? So we've seen what God's word says, we see what God's word tells us to do, and so not wanting to be a hearer of the word only, but to be a doer, we leave saying, okay, I need to do these things specifically. But the prayer piece we're going to see is so key in us getting those things that we desire to be done in our life. We want to read the word, and then we want to pray for the ability to do it. God expects prayer to be a necessary part of our life. Number two, God promises to answer our prayers with goodness. That's another main point that we're going to see today. God promises to answer our prayers with goodness. And this is true for everyone, not just the spiritually elite. Right? This isn't for a select group of people that get their prayers answered. This is an invitation to anyone and everyone to come and to ask and to seek and to knock and to trust that those prayers will be answered. So God expects prayer to be a necessary part of our life. He promises to answer our prayers. And then the last thing, the main point that I think we want to see today is that God wants us to believe both of these things. He wants us to believe both of these things, right? That prayer is something that we can do confidently, knowing that he will respond with goodness. So this passage is, is, is far less about guiding us about how to pray and far more about believing in the one that we pray to, right? Believing in his goodness, believing in his wisdom, believing that his wisdom and goodness supersede what we think is wise and good for us too, right? It's a necessary part of our life. We pray to a God who answers with goodness, and we believe in this God, the ways that Jesus is talking about him here. Now, for me, you know, as, as we see God's sovereignty throughout Scripture, right, that he's in control, that he's got predetermined plans, that he's carrying out his will, if you're like me, sometimes we err in seeing those things and believing those things to an extreme standpoint, to a fault, where we believe that what's going to happen is going to happen regardless of our involvement, right? And in a mysterious way that, honestly, I can't fully understand, God chooses to include us in those predetermined plans. And part of his predetermined way for carrying out his plans is to respond to the prayers of his people, right? And so what we're going to see today are, are, are passages that, that challenge us in our understanding of if we don't pray, is God necessarily going to do some of these things, right? Like, because God, God tells us in certain passages of Scripture, there's certain things that we don't have because we're not praying for them. There are certain things that we lack in our life because we haven't prayed and asked for them, right? And so there's implications there for us that in God's sovereignty and his, his plans, he chooses to include us and cause us to pray and to ask for things as well. And so I want to challenge you because this passage is challenging to me because I, to a fault, will err sometimes on the side of God's sovereignty and think, 
what he's going to do is what he's going to do, right? And I don't have to pray and ask for it. I don't have to dialogue with him about this. He's going to carry this out. And what I have to see here is that Jesus has called us to ask for things, to ask for good things, and to trust in his goodness, to trust in God's goodness to provide those things. All right, so again, with that summary sentence, if we believe that, our God, that God is our Father and he's responsive, meaning that he hears our prayers and he does something with those things, he's good and he's wise, right? Then we should be greatly motivated to come to him strategically, persistently, expectantly, and submissively with our prayers. So let's see this idea, first of all, praying strategically with God-honoring desires. Praying strategically with God-honoring desires. First, we need to seek to understand the needs that we have. All right, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks it will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? All right, we see some implication there that the, the son who is asking has an awareness of the types of things that he needs right? He needs bread. He needs fish. He needs food, right? And so he's coming to his dad asking for those things. There's a self-awareness to some degree about the needs. And I believe that, that scripture tells us that we need to have an understanding of some of the things that we need to have in order to appropriately ask for those things. Where do we find our needs? Where do we find God-honoring needs, right? God-honoring desires. Um, we certainly find those in God's word, right? So think about the fact that what we've been studying in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Things that we are called to do, things that we are called to be, things that we are called to exhibit, things that we don't naturally do in and of ourselves, especially being born into sin, born with a sin nature. Like we don't carry out these things the way that we're supposed to, the way that Jesus is describing. These are certainly needs that we have, right? And we can go to God and we can pray and ask him to give us the power to live out some of these things. We search the scriptures, we know the expectations, and we can pray regarding those needs that we have. We lack the ability to carry out these principles. We need to ask for the ability to do so. So let's, get, let's just kind of scan back through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 real quick. Back in Matthew 5, right? We're, we're, we're told we're blessed if we are these type of people, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We're called to be salt and light, right? We're called, to, we're called to be a witness that makes our environments better, that brings clarity to our environments. We're called to control our anger, right? To not just uh, stop short of murdering somebody, but not to hate people, not to be angry towards people, to, to control our physical desires, to not lust, to, to remain pure in our actions, to remain committed in our marriages, right? To, to carry out our word when we say we're going to do something, to do it. To not retaliate when people are, are ugly or mean or hurtful to us. We're to love our enemies, to pray for our enemies, to, to, to serve our enemies. These are things that, that are needs in our life because Jesus is saying, this is how you're supposed to live as one of my followers, right? And, and hopefully as we've been going through this and studying this together, you're looking at this and saying, man, I don't do that the way that I should, I don't do that to the fullest. I don't, I don't do that in every situation and circumstance. And what Jesus is now telling us in Matthew 7 is that we can ask for these things to be done in our life. 
We can seek for these things to be done in our life. We can knock and request that these things be done in our life, that the power and ability to carry these things out could be done in our life, and we can expect for God to respond. We can expect for God to bring about change in our life to where we see our enemies differently than we've been seeing them, to see our role in our environment differently than we've been seeing it, right? We're not just there to progress and to promote ourselves. We're there to be salt and to be light. We need to seek the Lord and ask him to give us his righteous disposition. We need to seek the Lord, his kingdom, and his righteousness. That's certainly what we see modeled in Jesus's prayer back in Matthew 6, right? When he, when he kind of lays out what, what an appropriate prayer looks like. It involves us seeking his kingdom, seeking his righteousness with the desires that we have. So praying strategically with what we see in Matthew chapter 7, this idea that we can ask and we can believe that God will respond and answer our prayers, that's certainly true if we're praying strategically with God-honoring desires. We seek Scripture. We find out the needs that we have. We pray for God to fulfill those needs in us. Number two, we must faithfully ask for the right things. So we find those needs in Scripture, and then our prayer life needs to be filled with asking for the right things based on what we see in Scripture. The good gifts that God promises to give to us in Matthew 7 are rooted in the things that he's told us in Scripture that we need. The good gifts we need are the provisions for living out his word. Look what 1 John chapter 4 says. First John chapter 4, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Lord has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God, so we have come to know and to believe the Son, to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in him, uh, love abides in God, and God abides in him. All right? So we see the, the, um, the aspect of God being in us, giving us his Spirit. All right? And then we skip down to 1 John chapter 5. Once we've, once we've obtained that relationship, Look what verse 13 says of chapter 5. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Look what John is saying there. If we have this relationship rooted in him, we're abiding in him, the Holy Spirit's living in us. We see that in 1 John 4. Then comes 1 John 5 where we can confidently come towards him, ask him anything according to his will, and know that he hears us and know that those requests are going to be given to us. Now, we're also told in James chapter 5 that God doesn't hear us doesn't respond to prayers that are designed to satisfy our worldly passions. Look what James says in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among us? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and can obtain, so you, you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, All right? So when we see this Matthew chapter 7, this isn't 
that, that God becomes a genie for us, and then we can ask and seek and knock and get anything and everything that we want from him. Right? There's a precursor to that, that we have to be submitted to his will, to his desires, for him to actually respond. Because if we just come wanting to satisfy our earthly passions, James tells us he doesn't hear those type of requests. He doesn't answer those type of requests. If we ask for wrong things too, sometimes God will respond to those things to teach us a lesson, right? So if we're not coming with these strategically God-honoring desires where we've searched scripture, we see God's heart, we see what he desires for us, we see ourselves lacking in those things, so we're motivated to come to him praying for those things, right? God, help me to see the log in my eye because I don't see it. Help me to see the sin in my life. Help me to be convicted about it so that I can turn from it, so that I can then help somebody who has a speck in theirs. Right? If we don't come with those type of desires in our prayer life, we come instead wanting to fulfill our own passions and desires. Give me this, give me this, I want this. God says, I don't hear those things. Also, if we're not careful, we come demanding things, grumbling for things, right? and God responds and will give us those things, not because it's good for us, but because he needs to go ahead and give it to us to get a hold of our heart and to cause us to come to repentance. Think about how Israel in the Old Testament, what are they praying for in the Old Testament? What are they asking God for in the Old Testament? They want a king. A king that would be good for them. Like the, the, the concept of kingship was right and good. God had given them parameters for what a king was supposed to look like in the law before they ever started asking for a king. The problem was they wanted a king to be like all the other nations right? And what, is, what does God tell Moses? Or not Moses. What, what does God tell Samuel? He says, look, don't, don't take this personally. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me, right? So I'm going to give them this king they're asking for. I'm going to give it to them, not because it's a good thing for them, but because they need it as a form of discipline, right? So that their hearts are prepared for the right kind of king, right? And then we see God bring David who becomes this, this shadow of the ultimate king that's to come in Jesus Christ, right? So we have to come strategically with God-honoring desires. That's what Matthew 7 is teaching us. We can come and ask and seek and knock and expect him to answer in good ways, but we have to be like the son who comes saying, I know I need fish, I know I need bread, I, I've evaluated my needs, and I have at least a concept of some of those things. All right, so number two, we pray persistently with an attitude of humility. Certainly I, the idea here too is that it's not just pray once and be done with it kind of a thing. Instead, we're told to ask, but the original language would, would word it in such a way where it would be ask and keep on acting, asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, and then it will be given to you, then you will find it, then it will be open to you. We pray persistently with an attitude of humility, we're called to pray with endurance. We're called to pray with endurance. We keep asking, we keep seeking, we keep knocking. Why? Because God is honored by our continual admittance of needing him to provide our needs. And God is honored when we continually come to him, recognizing that we can't get these things anywhere else but from you. And unless you provide them, we can't have them. Right? And so God is honored by that type of mindset. We keep coming to him with endurance. We keep coming to him persistently. He is honored. He's honored by that endurance because we're continually admitting our need for him to provide our needs. 
which leads into that number two idea. We're called to pray out of a sense of need. We're, pr- we're called to pray out of a sense of need. The whole concept here of God t- or Jesus telling us to be faithful to ask, to seek, to knock, it has some implication for us. The first implication I see is that the idea of asking implies we cannot obtain certain things unless they're given to us. The fact that we have to go and ask God for these things means that we cannot obtain these things unless they are given to us by him. That's what James 4, 2 tells us, right? So going back to that passage, where, do the, where does the quarreling and the fighting come from? Well, you, you feel like you need things, and so what are they doing? Instead of asking God for those things, what are they doing? They're trying to seize those things for themselves, right? So they're fighting amongst themselves. They're trying to take control of their situation and their circumstances for themselves. And James says, look, the reason that you don't have these things that you so desperately want is because you haven't asked for them. You haven't asked God for these things. So the implication is that sometimes the idea of asking implies we can't obtain certain things unless they're given to us. And then secondly, it implies we currently do not have certain things because we failed to ask. Man, just, if you don't hear anything else, I say just pause and think about that for a second. James says there are certain things that you do not have because you have not asked for them. Potentially good things in our life that we have not obtained because we have failed to ask for those things. And what Jesus wants us to see is that we have a heavenly father who is ready to give those things to us, ready to give good gifts to us. So think about what we've again been studying in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's just keep it real fine-tuned to what we've been talking about the last couple of months. Is it possible that we are not being salt and light, not loving our enemies, not controlling our anger, not experiencing purity in our own life, not experiencing uh, marriages that are prospering and and thriving? Is it possible that we are not um, being faithful to not judge others and to examine our own life? Is it possible that these things aren't happening in our life because we failed to ask for them? Have we been guilty of leaving every Sunday saying, thanks, Adam, I'm going to go try to do that. Thanks, I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to make that happen in my life, and we've missed the part where some of these things can't happen. These things can't be carried out without us asking and praying for God to do these things in us, right? To carry these things out through us. This idea of asking implies we can't obtain these things without them being given to us, and we currently don't have certain things because we failed to ask. Look, listen to what one commentator says. Prayer is the great blessing that puts our impotence in touch with God's omnipotence, our lack in touch with his supply, and our needs in touch with his riches. That's what prayer is. It takes our our incapabilities and puts them in touch with God's capabilities, our lack, our want in need of his, in touch with his supply, our needs in touch with his riches. We pray strategically, right? We search scripture. We know what God desires for us, what we need to have. Then we come praying persistently for those things in humility saying, God, if you don't do this in me, I can't carry it out. If you don't do this through me, I can't carry it out. If you don't give me the power to work out my salvation with fear and trembling 
it's not going to get worked out. Number three, we pray expectantly and submissively with a mindset of trust and a heart of contentment. We pray expectantly and submissively with a mindset of trust and a heart of commitment. Twofold aspect there, right? So I'm coming to God, I'm praying strategically. I've searched scripture, I know what my needs are, so I'm asking for those things, right? And I'm not just asking once and seeing it not happen and think, okay, I'm, I'm done, right? I'm praying with endurance. I'm praying persistently. I'm honoring God by admitting, if you don't do this, it doesn't get done. If you don't give this to me, I don't obtain it, right? I pray expectantly, believing that he is going to answer these prayers, but also pray submissively. I pray submissively with a mindset of trust and a heart of contentment, knowing that his wisdom supersedes mine, right? That, that his, his understanding and his goodness is far greater than my understanding of, of, of goodness and, and what I need, right? And so I pray, pray expectantly that God's going to give me only good gifts, right? Because I'm not in this category of somebody who's praying for passionate desires that are earthly-minded, right? I'm yielding to what I've learned in Matthew chapter 6 where my mind is set on heavenly things, and I'm wanting to lay up treasures in heaven, not treasures here on earth. So my prayer life is being affected by those desires, and I'm praying for the right things, right? And I'm praying expectantly for God to answer those things, but I'm also praying through the filter of I'm not God, and he's not my genie, right? And I don't just get to pray and demand and ask for things and expect him to respond, because you know what that would be? That would make me the God, right? If God has to do what I ask him to do, then he's lost his ability to be God, and I've gained it. And and I don't want that status, right? I don't want that status, because I don't have the infinite wisdom, right? I'm not infinitely good, so I don't want I don't want a free pass to be able to ask God for anything and everything I want and him have to respond to that. That could be dangerous for me and for those around me. I just don't possess enough wisdom to know all the time what I should be asking for even. Even though I can faithfully search scripture and pray for some of these things to happen, right? I don't, I don't possess God's wisdom to be able to pray and demand that God respond to every request that I have. What we can do is, number one, pray with expectation that God only gives good things. He only gives good things. Man, we can be thankful that we pray to a God who is a, who is a father for us, who hears us and responds. Again, I told you, it's mysterious how God reveals himself as a sovereign God who's in control of everything. Nothing can thwart his plans. Nothing can change destiny, right? Like, like he has planned everything, and yet he calls us to be a part of that, to participate, and to pray for things to happen. We can pray with expectation that God gives good things, and he uses this analogy. So he tells us to ask, and to seek, and to knock, and then he ties it into what we would experience with a parent and a child. Which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then Uh, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus uses earthly fathers 
to lay the groundwork for our understanding of what it means to receive good gifts. Here in this passage, he draws our attention to think about how an earthly father acts. Think about how an earthly father cares for his child. Think about how an earthly father gives good things to his child. In the Old Testament, we see kind of a parallel idea in Isaiah 49 when it comes to mothers. Isaiah chapter 49 Verse 14, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. All right, what's the, what's the typical norm for a parent when it comes to feeding their child? Is that we think to do it, right? Like, we don't typically forget to feed our kids, especially a nursing child, right? Now, it's almost as though God anticipates somebody in the back going, well, there was this one time, right, when my mom forgot to feed me, and it was four o'clock, and we hadn't had lunch yet, right? Maybe as moms, you're sitting there thinking, there was that one time where I forgot to feed my nursing child, where we went longer than we were supposed to at the stage of life that my child was at, right? We were supposed to feed every four hours. All of a sudden, I looked up, and I'd slept through the night, and it was eight hours, Right? So, so God even anticipates that, and he says, yes, even if they do forget, I'll never forget you, right? Even the best mom out there maybe forgets to make lunch for their child one day, maybe forgets to nurse their child one day. Something, something slips up, and, and time passes, and, and then you remember, oh, I haven't done that yet, right? But the norm, the norm in the Old Testament, the norm in the New Testament, what God and Jesus are saying here is that, look, the norm is that earthly parents take care of their kids, right? They give them good gifts. They provide for them. Now, pause for just a second as parents right now and think about the, the immense weight that we have placed on us as image bearers of God to bear his image well in this area so that a passage like this resonates with our child versus becomes the, uh, the contradiction for our child, right? What we want is for our children to read this and say, my mom and dad know how to give me good gifts. That's what I've experienced from my mom and dad, right? We have a, we have a task here as parents to, to model this well, to be good gift-bearing parents to our kids, even in our flawed evilness, right? Because that's what Jesus says. Even an evil earthly parent knows how to give good gifts, right? The expectation is they know how to give good gifts, but it pales in comparison to what you experience with a perfect heavenly father. Even earthly fathers, all their evil flaws know how to give good gifts. Think about it. Even some of the worst dads, even some of the worst dads that some of us have experienced here in this church still have a concept of giving good gifts or just the idea of giving gifts, right? I know in, in talking with uh, families at Trinity who have gone through like broken home situations, it's not uncommon for that dad to still try to come through in the area of gift giving. Right? I was having to discipline this kid recently um, and was coming down pretty hard on him about just continually making bad choices and decisions. And me and his mom are talking to him and um, 
she, you know, she's kind of like, what is going on? Like, why do you keep doing this? And he just starts weeping. He just starts weeping. And, and, and he says, mom, I'm stressed out about dad, right? I'm stressed out because he's been out of our life and now he's coming back into our life and wants to be around me at Christmas time to give me gifts. He's like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to handle that because he's not been a part of my life for a while, right? Even a dad who is maybe failing his son in a lot of capacities looks up and says, it's Christmas time, right? I need to give gifts to my kid. Even some of the, the worst dad situations look around and say, I should be giving good gifts. Like, it's just kind of built in there, right? And Jesus says, look, earthly evil dads know how to do this. Earthly evil dads know how to do this. He says, how much more will you experience good gifts from a perfect heavenly father who has no evil? Right? And, he, and he's talking to people in this sermon who are, who are dads probably, right? And he's, and he's going ahead and just reminding everybody, everybody's evil here, right? Like, like you're all evil. You all fall short of, of my standard of holiness, right? He says, even evil dads know how to give good gifts. How much more will you experience from a heavenly father who's without evil giving you good gifts? As the better father, he exceeds all earthly fathers in his intent to give good things to his children, he does not grant us anything that appears to be good, but turns evil, right? Like I, I, one commentator pointed out how um, to a kid, especially a young kid, you could potentially find a stone that would look like bread, right? So the kid's asking for bread. Hey, I'm going to trick you and give you something that kind of looks like bread, but it's going to shatter your teeth when you try to eat it, right? Dad, I need a fish. Like, I need to eat. Let me give you a snake because like, some snake look like fish, right? But, but it's venomous and it's poisonous, right? God doesn't give us anything that appears to be good and then turns on us and becomes evil, right? He withholds those things for us. He's the best dad possible. Even those that have had great earthly dads, right? Those of us that have seen great earthly dads, maybe we haven't had a great earthly dad ourselves. We've seen other people with great earthly dads. Our father exceeds all of that. Our heavenly father exceeds all of that in his ability to give good gifts. We can pray with expectation that God only gives good things. Number two, we can pray with submission that only God truly knows what is good. We can pray with submission that only God truly knows what is good. Our prayer should always be requests versus demands. Here's the thing that's super helpful. Is it like a good earthly father, God will not bend to every request we make that we think is good for us if it isn't good for us. Let me say that to you again. Like a good earthly father, God will not bend to every request we make that we think is good for us if it isn't good for us. We may be fully convinced that it's good for us, right? My kid comes to me uh, and says, Dad, I'm hungry. I need a snack. I'm hungry. Like, I need a snack. Can I have a Popsicle? Wait a second. Like, Popsicles don't satisfy hunger, right? They're a nice treat. They're enjoyable. But something's off if you think that you're hungry and you are going to satisfy that hunger with a Popsicle, Right? We've all sat at the table where our kids have said, hey, I'm full. I don't want any more to eat. Like, I'm done. And then what, what do we typically use as motivation? That's fine, but you ain't getting any dessert tonight. But, 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 but I want dessert. 
but you just said you're full, right? Like if you're full, there's not possibly room for cake and ice cream. Like you need to be done. Like your body's telling you you're full. Like cut it off. Like we're done eating tonight. And then what do most of our kids do? They go back to eating their vegetables, right? So they can have that dessert, right? They're not really full. They just want something better. They want something different. They want something that satisfies them in a different way. Whereas as parents, we know, look, you can't have a diet of popsicles and ice cream and cake and get by with it, right? It's not good for you. It's not healthy for you, right? And so our Heavenly Father is so good and so wise and so intentional with how he responds. He's not going to just simply yield to every request we make. He's going to filter it through the infinite filter of goodness and determine, is this good for that individual or not? Think about three different types of dads here. The child with the stingy, ill-tempered, and abusive father will seldom ask for anything, fearing another meaningless beating. Some of you may have grown up in a situation like that, where anytime you came asking your dad for something, you got a response of anger, abuse, hatred, dismissiveness, to the point where you just finally said, I don't, I don't want to ask dad for anything anymore. He just gets angry at me, right? Some people have experienced that. Others, not me, have experienced the extravagant life, right? Where you have a dad who's extravagant but thoughtless. That child approaches him with arrogance and lays down his next demand, knowing he will not be refused. Some people grew up in a situation like that where you could go to dad and just make demands, and because life was so extravagant for them, just meet the demands, just give it to them, right? We've, we've seen kids like that maybe where you would say, man, that kid is so spoiled. His parents give him everything that he wants, right? No filter. Just give it to him to make him be quiet, to satisfy him. Whatever he wants, he gets. Kid drives the, drives the family, drives the relationship, right? We, we, we've seen that, right? There's a third type of situation, though, where the child with the kind, gentle, and firm father does not fear to ask him for things. But deep down, he enjoys the assurance that his father will not give him something which greater wisdom and experience assesses as not in the child's best interest. That's ultimately what we want our kids to see when we tell them no, right? Kid comes asking for something and we say, not today. Or not in that manner, not in that way. Why? Because we, we determine that it's not good for them. They think it's good for them. They think it's absolutely what they should get. But our experience, our wisdom is able to allow us to assess the situation and say, now we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Like my kids would love for me to buy them a dog right now, right? They think it would be the best thing. I look at the situation and say, we ain't got enough room for a dog. We ain't got enough room for our kids right now, right? Much less a dog to add on to that, right? And you think dad, you think dad wants you to clean up things now? Add a dog to the mix, right? Then we're going to be constantly talking about cleaning up things. I can look at that situation and say, this is not good. It's not good for us right now. Man, if the Lord chooses to provide us with more space, more land, then we can have a conversation about a dog, right? It's not good for us right now. Do my kids understand it? Do they see that? No, they're short-sighted with it, right? They see other people's dogs, and they want that experience at our home. I look at other people's situations and say, they got bigger houses, they got more land, they got the ability to have a dog, right? Man, the child who, who has a kind, gentle, and firm father doesn't fear to ask him for things, not worried about dad getting mad about it. But man, also has a deep down trust that says, I can ask for this, and if it's not good for me, dad's going to withhold it from me. And I don't have to get angry about it. I don't have to get frustrated about it. I can be content. I can be content trusting my dad knows. My dad knows what's best for me. 
That's our heart as parents. We want our kids to be able to look at us and say, mom and dad know what's best for me. It's the same desire that God has for us. I told you this passage is far more about trusting the one that we're praying to versus giving us some magical method of praying to get what we want. It's all about trusting the one that we're praying to. Look at this quote by John Piper. When you pause to consider that God is infinitely strong, can do all that he pleases, and that he's infinitely righteous so that he only does what is right, and that he's infinitely good so that everything he does is perfectly good, and that he's infinitely wise so that he always knows perfectly what is right and good, and that he's infinitely loving so that in all his strength and righteousness and goodness and wisdom, he raises the eternal joy of his loved ones as high as it can be raised. When you pause to consider this, then the lavish invitation of this God to ask him for good things with the promise that he will give them is unimaginably wonderful. That we get to pray to a God who possesses all of this infinitely knows exactly what we need to give it to us. He possesses all the power required to give us everything good thing, every good thing that we need, and he possesses the desire to do so. Look what Romans 8.32 says. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And how could we ever question the goodness of our father when he has already given to us his son? Right? He's already given us his son for salvation. How could we ever question whether he's going to give us every other good thing that we need in life? He possesses all the power required to give us every good thing that we need. And so not only does he have the power to do it, not only does he have... Um, not only does he have the power to give us every good thing, he possesses the desire to give us every good thing too. That's an unimaginable, wonderful thing. So the question that we kind of end with is, are we promised to always get what we ask for? Hopefully we've seen today that's not the case, right? We ask for things that are aligned with Scripture, right? We pray expectantly for those things. We pray with endurance, persistently. We pray with a mindset of trust, a heart of contentment, knowing that ultimately God knows what is good. So let me close you with this quote. He will hear and he will give us good things. Sometimes just what we asked. Sometimes just when we ask it. Sometimes just the way we desire. And at other times he gives us something better. Or at a time he knows is better. Or in a way he knows is better. And of course this tests our faith. Because if we thought that something different were better, we would have asked for it in the first place but we are not God and we are not infinitely strong or infinitely righteous or infinitely good or infinitely wise or infinitely loving. And therefore it is a great mercy to us and to the world that we do not get all that we ask. Told you at the beginning, if we believe that God our Father is responsive, that he answers prayer, that he's good and wise, we should greatly be motivated to come to him strategically persistently, expectantly, and submissively with our prayers. He's a good God. He's a good Father. He tells us to ask Him. He tells us if we don't ask, there may be things that we don't currently have because we haven't asked. 
We can pray knowing that he'll never give us evil things when we're asking for good things with the right motives. Our, our earthly parents are a good example of what we can expect from God to the infinite degree. So we close with a level of application that I want to give you for not just today, but really for you to think through for the coming year. I want us to leave today developing a prayer list that's rooted in Scripture that we will commit to pray for regularly this upcoming year with endurance, with persistence. Right? I want, us to, I want us to even look back through the Sermon on the Mount, things that we've been learning and seeing that we're supposed to be, things that we lack right now in our life, to ask God for those things, to ask God to fulfill those things in our life, to carry those things out in our life. Develop a prayer list rooted in Scripture. Seek Him through His Word, and then let's be persistently asking Him in this upcoming year. And let's fight against our tendency to not pray for things because we think that God's going to just make things happen because He's got the sovereignty piece worked out. Let's see these passages that include us in that, right? That demand that we pray, that command us to pray and ask for these things so that He can be greatly honored. Because what it tells to this world around us is that we believe that our Father is good. We believe that he's responsive. And we believe that he knows better what is good for us than we do. Let's pray together. God, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness. We thank you and praise you that we can come to you knowing that you hear us and that you want to respond to us, that we can ask and seek and knock and you respond as the perfect Father that you are. God, we thank you that you know our needs better than we do. We thank you that you can filter our requests through what is ultimately good for us. And so, God, I pray that as we, as we come to you in our own prayer lives, asking and, and requesting that you work and move in our life, that we would be like that child who comes to the Father, willing to put trust in, in a contented heart that says, you know what? My dad knows best for me. My dad, my, my dad knows what I need better than I do. God, help us to have that type of mindset. Help us to trust you and to see your goodness. We know that you exist, but God, help us to believe in your goodness today. We honor you with that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.